As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ladies and gentlemen, storytellers of all ages. Lend your ears to co-hosts Brad and Philip as we delve into the Marketing Your Attraction podcast. Welcome to episode 19 of the Marketing Your Attraction podcast. I'm your host, Brad, and I'm here talking live with Philip from Orlando, Florida. Philip, how are you doing tonight? Woo! I just saw the new uh, Toy Story Land, so that was uh, pretty interesting. I got my little uh, box tart uh, from uh, the new quick service restaurant there. So Wow. Was, was it good? It was um, definitely better than a Pop-Tart. So there we go. <laughs> Let's kick off episode 19 with some news and some quick takes. I want to talk about the theme park influencer list. It's been a while in the making. It was curated by Blue Loop, uh, which is a, a news a company in uh, o- over in the UK. They have a little introduction here about how they put together. Um, they So basically... <laughs> Uh, a while back, like almost last year, I want to say you, you, it was open for submissions and you submitted, you nominated people and they had a panel of judges at seven judges, um, from a kind of across the industry and, uh, in association with Omnicom, they, they funded putting together, uh, having the judges look through everyone and put together this list from the nominations. So they pared it down to 50 and, they have a separate uh, power 10 section here um, for people to get special recognition. So um, power 10 would be uh, like Bob Iger and Joe Rody and you know, the, those, those uh, names that we hear a lot of. So it's just um, a very, it's just an interesting list. It's something in there for you guys to, to look at and kind of be aware of um, if you don't know some of these people, um, I thought it was very interesting uh, to be reading some of the bios and some of the projects these guys have worked on because, you know, I, I definitely could know more about all of these uh, people than I do, <laughs> than I did. Um, a lot of them were people I didn't really have that much um, 
that much knowledge as to their properties on. So that was uh, very interesting. So it's just, uh, it's, there's not really like an article or anything about it. You just like, it, you just go to the list and then you can pull up the bios, but it is interesting to look through everybody and, and kind of see what other, uh, what the global attraction uh, industry kind of looks like and, and who, who does what uh, in those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not usually a big fan of, of these types of lists. I, I feel like you see them all the time of like, you know, the power Hollywood list and the top 10 CEOs. And, and of course, you know, it's all a personal opinion. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of times when you start ranking people, it's not not the most productive use of time. But um, to your point, I, I was really interested in just learning more, especially about the uh, the global leaders in the attraction industry, the the ones that you know, I'm not as familiar with, because uh, a lot of you know, a lot of my work and also just a lot of the the articles that I read, of course, are in English, and so they tend to focus more on the uh, you know North American markets and maybe a little bit of UK here and there. This uh, this list did a really nice job of recognizing leaders from all over the world. Yeah, so it was it was a really uh, really interesting list, and uh, I, th- I think if you're a part of the industry, you should always try to learn more about it. You can learn things from the biggest parks out there, and the biggest parks out there can learn from some of the smallest attractions. And uh, the, the more knowledge sharing we have out there, the better in the attractions industry. My news article for this week comes from uh, someone I know very well, the VP of e-commerce at Cedar Fair, Jim Denny. He recently uh, gave a presentation at a marketing conference uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And one of the technologies that we, that we use uh, for our website is called Hippo, and it's uh, created by uh, Bloomreach. And they kind of took Jim's talk and, and put it together into a really interesting article talking about how Cedar Fair scaled an immersive mobile experience. And it goes through kind of Jim's thinking and, and how you know, he worked with us at the park level um, and also with his team and outside vendors to completely update our um, our website. I think it may, maybe even talks a little bit about the, our mobile app as well, but it mostly focuses on the, the Cedar Fair Parks uh, website. Uh, and that was a huge project when when Jim came onto the company right around the time I came in, in like 2014 or so. We were way, way behind in the uh, the technology for websites. Our website was not responsive. We had a separate mobile website that wasn't very good. And we had a desktop website that still used Flash in some instances. This was 2014, not not too long ago, and we were still using Flash. And so Jim uh, led that project, and we launched a brand new uh, website uh, just a couple of years ago. And it's been you know fantastic to have a incredible web platform. And uh, you know it goes beyond just the website, but it, and uh, in the article, uh, Jim also talks about you know how they are personalizing content. And kind of goes through his whole path and processes of thinking about, about how do we completely rethink that web experience for our guests. And I've really enjoyed working with, with Jim over the years and, and he, he did a fantastic job of pulling together all the resources to, to launch these brand new websites and, and get Cedar Fair and Knott's Berry Farm and Cedar Point and, and all of our theme parks out of the Stone Age. And, and now we have a, a great web platform for the future. So definitely give that a read. It's a pretty, uh, pretty in-depth article. You know, it's a few pages and 
uh, kind of peels back the the curtain on it, which is which is awesome because it's something that usually you don't get a chance to talk about since so, so much of that stuff is either confidential or internal use. So I was I was glad that uh, the powers to be uh, gave Jim the opportunity to present that at um, at the Gardner uh, Marketing Conference. So that kind of leads into our main topic this week. We wanted to spend some time talking about kind of customer surveys and learning from your customers and uh, really trying to figure out how do you have that conversation that uh, you know leads to whether it's a new website, a new seasonal attraction, whatever it is that you're working on in your business, how do you make sure that you are receiving input from your customers and your guests and that their voice is being heard, but you're also not responding to every single little comment and suggestion and idea because as I think probably everyone that works in the attractions industry knows guests always have an opinion. Hmm. And of, of course, uh, you know, their opinion is, is based on their experiences, not you know necessarily right or wrong, but you can't, uh, you can't just take every, every little opinion, comment or suggestion and, and, uh, you know, begin shaping your attraction around that. But on the flip side of that, you, you can't just ignore that feedback. You, you really need to uh, use your customers, your guests as a resource. So Philip, where do you want to dive in there? I want to start off with some just general notes on surveys. The first thing is you need to be surveying. Really, regardless of, of the scale that you're operating at, you have to be surveying in, in some way. Brad and I, we can go into the various kind of types of surveying, but um, realize when we, you know, say, when I say survey in some way, um, it, it's okay. It really can be just as easy as someone, uh, if you're like at a, like a, a pop-up attraction or, or, um, you know, a haunt that has a, a temporary, even like a temporary structure haunted house where you don't even, where you don't have a, a full-time haunt, you know, it's okay for you to be out there manually asking people questions and checking off, uh, boxes on a spreadsheet. Um, that's okay. You know, the, the important thing is that you need to do it uh, in some capacity um, somehow. And there's a lot of different uh, avenues to it. So, you know, just the easy, simple way of, of collecting survey manually like that. Um, there's also non um, like passive survey, passive survey tactics, which would be mainly observing what your, your audience is doing. So going up and observing where they stop and where they don't stop, um, where they, what signs they're looking at, what signs they're not looking at, um, what draws their attention, what doesn't. Um, I have a friend that, that actually specializes in, in that type of surveying. Um, Dr. Margie Kerr, um, she does surveying like that where she goes and identifies uh, where the weak points are in communication systems or, or where they are in, in funneling and where people are getting stuck. So there's, there's surveys where you can ask, there's, you know, research surveys, there's, there's a lot of different ways to do it. But the first thing is you need to be doing it in some fashion. Two, I would say is, is you need to be able to construct a system whose data you'll be able to utilize in some way. That's a big thing for me is I see a lot of people doing uh, surveys and they don't know what they're planning on doing with the survey data. You know, like what, what, what thing are you trying to learn more about or, or to correct or to figure out or to fine tune? And what action are you going to take based off the information that you get? Uh, before it's kind of like you have to have that before you even start um, just collecting the data. Like understand how, what the context that you're going to collect it in. And then the next set of ground rules I'm going to lay is there's a few things that you can't survey people about. 
Um, but before I go into th- those and, and we kind of cover what you, what you like psychologically can't ask people because there's, there's some general rules in terms of, uh, what you just can't ask people about. Um, but before we get into that, uh, Brad, what do you think about like kind of some ground rules? Yeah, no, I think those are great points. You just need to do it and it doesn't have to be that complex. I, I can tell you, I've, I don't have a, a you know, ton of experience working in, you know, customer surveying, but a, a lot of a lot of what I do in, in marketing kind of crosses over, you know, into those groups and the, the companies I've worked with and worked for, they're not that sophisticated. You know, a lot, a lot of surveys, even at the biggest attractions in the world, like take Disneyland, if, if you've been to a, a Disney theme park and you've seen the people taking the surveys, they're really just asking questions. Yes. Maybe they have a fancy tablet and maybe they're doing some incredible data analysis on the back end. At the, at the end of the day, they're just asking questions. So to Philip's point, I just want to reiterate, which was a great one, was it doesn't have to be complex. You can just go and talk to someone and have a conversation with them. And I think some of those open-ended questions are some of the best ways to encourage feedback. I think sometimes what, what I've seen at, at Knott's Berry Farm when we've done different surveys is if you are only asking you know, questions that are maybe scale from like, you know, one to 10 are, are very specific about like, oh, did you enjoy the Boysenberry Festival or did you enjoy this new ride? At the end of the surveys, like all that data is great. Uh, but one of my favorite responses to read is, oh, is there anything else you'd like to tell us? Because that's usually when you're going to to find out something that you've never even thought about before. So, so keep that in mind. Always make sure that you are surveying the specific questions that that you want to learn more about, but you're also providing that mechanism for guests to just give you whatever feedback they're thinking about, because you might be missing something that, uh, that you know, you, you, you know, there's something that uh, part of the experience that you never even thought would be in fact affecting their visit, like parking or, you know, them buying the tickets or something. I think a lot of times attractions focus too much on the actual entertainment value of the attraction. And don't think about everything that surrounds that. So keep that in mind while you're doing surveying. One of the most popular survey methods for a general survey of what companies all over the world, not just attractions, but companies all over the world use is called Net Promoter Score. We'll link to more information about the Net Promoter Score in, um, in the show notes. But it's a very, very straightforward process to get a Net, net Promoter Score. And what you do is, on a scale of zero to 10, you ask your guest or your customer, how likely are you to recommend this company's product or service, or in this case, attraction, to a friend or a colleague? Based on that rating, customers are then classified into three categories. Those three categories are detractors, passives, and promoters. So detractors gave a score of lower or equal to six. They're not particularly thrilled by the product or the service they with all likelihood won't purchase again from the company, could potentially damage the company's reputation through negative word of mouth. Passives provide a score of seven or eight. They are somewhat satisfied, but could easily switch to a competitor's offering if given the opportunity. They probably wouldn't spread any negative word of mouth, but are not enthusiastic enough about your products or services to actually promote them. And then there's promoters. Uh, Promoters answered nine or 10. They love your attraction. They're the repeat buyers, repeat visitors. 
they're really enthusiastic. They're the ones who are sharing about your attraction on social media and giving you that positive word of mouth. And so the way that the net promoter score is determined is by subtracting the percentage of customers who are detractors from, from the percentage who are promoters. That's it. And so what's generated is a score between minus 100 and 100 called the net promoter score. We use this all the time at Knott's Berry Farm. All the companies I've ever worked with have you know, used the net promoter score. It's a really great way to measure your, um, your audience out there. And like I said, it's very, very simple. It's just one question and you can get more complex with it. What we do at Knott's and what um, most other companies do is they have net promoter scores of people who have, you know, visited or interacted with their product, you know, recently. And also people who have interacted or who have either never interacted with their, their brand or their product or haven't done it for a while. And then they kind of see how those scores compare. And if it, your brand, your attraction is, has undergone a, you know, a rebrand or an expansion or something, or, or, you know, maybe you were, you know, one thing a few years ago and now you're something else. It's really interesting to compare and contrast those scores. I can't, uh, can't get it into the specifics of what we do at Knott's too much. Um, but I will just say that, you know, seeing those comparisons of how people who haven't visited for a while compared to people who just recently visited can really help your marketing plan. So for example, if someone who recently, if, if the, the people who recently visited have a much higher net promoter score than people who you know, haven't visited for, you know, five or so years, you know, maybe you need to think about, okay, well, how do I get more people in, uh, in the door? Cause obviously the product is improved. Um, so it's, so these people have a, you know, negative perception of what the park or the attraction looked like a few years ago, but that's changed, um, you know, recently. So that's an example of the net promoter score. It's one of the kind of the easiest ways to, uh, just kind of survey what what people are thinking about your attraction. And you can get really complicated with surveys. I love taking surveys. I'm, I think I've always enjoyed statistics. I'm one of those weird people who if I'm at the mall or if I'm at a theme park and I see someone with a survey and they ask me if I want to take a survey, I don't care how long it takes, I'll do it because I'm always interested about this. Um, the way that we, that we work at NAS is we primarily just do email surveys. There's not a lot of uh, in-person surveys at all because of course those take more time and cost more money. Um, but with bigger campaigns, we also bring in focus groups, which if you have the time can be, uh, you know, can be, you know, huge, you know, bigger parks like a Disney, they are doing focus groups all the time. They're focus testing everything from, uh, you know, f new food items to new uh, traction ideas. And they're doing that both in person and online, they have the survey people in the park. And I always think the closer you can take, the closer you can have someone take a survey after they've experienced your attraction, the better, because they're going to have, you know, they're going to be very, very fresh with their opinions. And they're also more likely to share it. If you're only doing email surveys, that's okay. It's better than nothing. As Philip mentioned, just start doing some type of surveying. Um, but I, I think if you can get to the point where you're actually talking to your guests on a regular basis, whether you're going through a specific survey or just asking them, Hey, what did you think 
would you recommend this to a, a friend? If you're doing that in person, that's a great way to take your surveying to the next level. Phil, what type of, uh, I know we don't like to get into tools too much, but uh, I was curious, what type of tools have you used to do surveys? Do you just use something like SurveyMonkey? So I've used a few different uh different tools um i've used so way back way way back in the day when i was doing like my home haunt because i was surveying when i was doing a haunt out of my house yes um i i did basic demographic um and um and kind of what did you like not like surveys and i uh, did that as as people were entering and exiting and I actually just printed out Excel sheets um, with little check mark boxes on them. And then I, I put like people at the front and, and the back of the house and let them uh, just check boxes while, while people were entering and exiting. So I did it manually. And then we had someone just tabulate everything. Um, Cause even back then I was outsourcing. So <laughs> um, that's really smart. I mean, that's a really simple, straightforward, effective way to, to do surveys. Um, then then I moved over. I've, I've done the survey monkey dance. Um, I've also done uh, my, my, my most favorite method now is actually type form. Uh, it's a service called type form, one word type form.com. Um, it's a kind of like a subscription survey service where you pay $25 a month and you can get access to be able to do surveys of a certain number. It's a little pricey um, because Google Sheets uh, actually can function quite the same way, depending. What I like about uh, Typeform is that it is responsive across all devices, and it has um, it takes them question by question, and, and it like you know rather than going to a Google form and, and people seeing everything kind of just fading away, um, it takes you question by question, so it kind of like you know, that it narrows the focus and it's responsive. So I really like those two things about it. I wanted to cover a few, a few more basics uh, for, for surveys here. We already uh, talked about, it doesn't matter what the size uh, or, or, or what level of your operating as you do something. And we've given you a few examples of survey collecting and it not having to be complex. I want to go through a few kind of like um, other guidelines uh, that are more to shape the type of questions you, you can ask. Um, I have recommended reading that we put in the show notes, but I'll be borrowing some stuff from uh, from uh, Ask by Ryan Levesque and Decisive by uh, Chip and Dan Heath and um, The Art of Persuasion as well. But a few things I want to put together. Um, one, probably the, the most critical thing is that people are terrible at making predictions. Like all, all humans, even even experts, like experts are slightly better than regular people, but you have to be an actual expert. So it's like the 10,000 hour expert. Um, and they're not even that much better than regular people at making predictions. So people are terrible at predictions. So generally stay away from any sort of predictive questions in your surveys. Um, so for example, questions like, do you think you will, you will visit again are useless. And, and anything that asks people to predict, to predict something in the future is never going to come back correct. And the next, the next thing is uh, generally people are kind of bad at giving examples unless you kind of frame it for them um, and kind of have to guide it. So an example for that is instead of asking a, like a generic question, say, you know, 
would you rate this attraction on a level of uh, like one to 10 as Brad was saying? And then instead of saying, what did you like about it? You say, um, why did you not rate it to, you know, so if they say that like a seven, be like, why did you not rate it a five? So you need to, kind of shift it around to get the person to give you a, a more authentic example of that. The next, the, the next tip is people, like I said, they can't give you examples. They can really only tell you what they've done in the past and what they, what, like what they didn't like and what they have done in the past. So when you're surveying, um, keep, keep that in mind and frame your questions around, you know, you can ask questions all about, you know, why did you choose to go on this ride instead of this ride? Why did you do your day in this order? Um, why did you bring your family with you? Why didn't you bring your family? You know, why, why did you, why did you do or not do the things that you did that you did or where did you come from? Any of those things are all fine. And then what did you not like? As I just mentioned, you know, why didn't you rate this attraction lower? The next thing is, and Brad, Brad touched on this a little bit too with uh, the net promoter score, but the longer the response the closer you are to a pain or peak point. Um, this is something that Ryan Levesque spends a lot of time on in his ask book, which is um, pretty brilliant on this section. Um, but basically, even if you're doing an online survey and there's an open-ended response field in there, um, you want to pay extra attention to the response fields that have the most characters in them. So typically, so, one technique for doing this is to kind of take all of your survey responses and look for the open-ended question and sort them according to the number of characters that are present in the open-ended question. And then only look at those survey responses because those are the ones that are most important. And that's because the more people want to talk about something, the more the closer that thing is to an emotion to them, which means it's closer to a pain point or a peak point. And we've talked about um, peak points previously uh, on this podcast. And we've talked about pits as well, which can also be be pain points. So you want to just pay special attention to those very big pain points because that's when you get to decide, is this a pit that we need to fill in um, or is this like a one-time deal? And on the opposite end, if it's really, really good, is there something we want to do to enhance this thing so that we can make it even better than it is now for these people? Yeah, just to chime in about the the pain points, because that's such a, a huge, huge thing you need to think about is you know, for the attractions industry, of course, it could be, you know, pain, pain points can be everything from, you know, price, pricing structure to parking to, I mean, there's so many different pain points and, uh, but you know, one example I have that's not from the attraction industry, it, but is from, from Amazon. There was a great article that Eugene way, uh, just published a couple of weeks ago and he was one of the first 200, uh, employees at Amazon. So in the early days of Amazon, he was responsible for kind of thinking about long-term strategy and doing customer surveys. And he wrote this really in-depth article about his time there and what Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, focused on was trying to have them figure out, okay, what are these pain points? And uh, what, what they found really early on was it was pain for shipping and it was the speed of shipping. And this is why that they, this is why customers were not buying from them. And they were growing like crazy before, you know, before this, 
wasn't a problem that they weren't growing. The problem was, okay, well, you know, five years from now or at whatever point where they get enough people who don't have that as a pain point, they're eventually going to run into a ceiling. And uh, Eugene calls it the invisible asymptote, which is a, which is a mathematical term. And uh, so they focused a lot of their energy on figuring out, okay, how do we provide free shipping? How do we provide faster shipping? And it's a really long article, but I just wanted to, to mention it because if you're interested in how, you know, Amazon tackled this problem and Eugene gives a few more technology examples as well, it really got my mind thinking about how you can apply that to the attractions industry and also just industries in general. And one of his best points was, I see many companies spending time, this is a quote, I see many companies spend time analyzing funnels and seeing who merges out the bottom. As a company grows though, and from the start, it's just as important to look at those who never make it through the funnel, who never come to your attraction, who maybe come to the website, but don't buy, who are jumping out at the very top. You want to make sure that uh, you are, you know, if, when you get to that level that you're also surveying people who are not your guests, try to figure out, you know, why are they not buying? Why did they leave the website? And, and there's a lot of different ways you can do that. Um, you probably have, I've seen a lot of websites pop up like a little pop-up form or something saying, Hey, can I get your email to give us, to do a survey later on? Or, Hey, can I do a quick survey now? Um, it's a little bit more complicated to do surveys of people who are not customers. That's, that's something to think about. Uh, his biggest point though, was when companies run focus groups on their products, or in our case, attractions, they often show me the positive feedback. This is, this is a quote from Eugene. I'm almost always more interested in the folks who have registered negative feedback, though. And then he kind of goes on to talk about how painful it is to get that negative feedback. But it's always really eye-opening to me when we ask on surveys, what didn't you like about the experience? Like, that's usually when you get your most interesting feedback and answers as, as Philip was, was mentioning. And it's painful to read those, you know, even though I don't necessarily work directly on, you know, the product of the theme park. Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone wants to read negative feedback. It, it can be painful. And it can be really painful for smaller attractions because, you know, you're, you're even more connected to the product uh, than I am. Um, but just always try to keep in mind that you're learning from that negative feedback and that's important to get to it because otherwise you can just be kind of looking for the answers and uh, you can, that's the good and bad thing about data, right? You can always manipulate the questions and how you read the answers to get whatever answer you want, but really push yourself to encourage that negative feedback from your guests and also from your employees too, because that, that can be a great, it can be a great resource for that as well. Um, Philip, did you want to add anything, anything else? Or I jumped in there. I just wanted, as soon as you were mentioning uh, some of those pain points, I'm like, oh, I've got to mention this, this <laughs> article I was just reading. No, it's perfect. Um, I think we, we covered the most of it. Um, the last thing I want to bring up is we, we touched very briefly on, on kind of the, the reasons why you would do a survey. Um, and we've kind of put out a, a lot of just random stuff. Um, I want to put out s some information here on um, biases because a lot of times I think surveys are helpful to counter biases, um, which is something Brad just brought up in the article that, that he mentioned. But there are four main biases that, and you can 
kind of use surveys as a way to to kind of spot check yourself to understand um, if you're violating one of these and also to kind of get uh, more perspective. So four main biases, um, narrow framing. Again, surveys are good for if you're narrow framing from your perspective as in what you think uh, is going well or what you think the guests like or what you think is going wrong. Narrow framing helps you break out of that frame or surveying helps you break out of that frame. Um, there's confirmation bias, there's short-term emotion, and there is overconfidence. So you can see where surveying helps in all these fronts. It helps on confirmation bias because it, it, it spots check. It, it, it gets you out of your thinking uh, group. You know, maybe if everyone at your attraction is all like agreeing with everyone else um, in, in terms of your team, um, this helps you get outside opinions in. Um, it overcomes short-term emotion, especially if you there's a delay in the survey response. Uh, so it goes both ways. It shows you what the short-term emotion is when someone is visiting your attraction, as Brad mentioned, and it shows you how quickly that that can change or fade as it goes around. Um, and it helps with overconfidence as well. So some great uh, reasons to be using surveys. Of course, there's all the general marketing reasons as well, like the uh, demographics and and understanding more about your customer and, uh, and pain points and peak points and whatnot. But it, here's some biases in addition. Uh, and I think that's everything I had. Anything else, yeah. Brad? No, I think that's great. That's a great introduction to it. And we'll have a lot of resources in the show notes if you want to dive a little bit deeper or a lot deeper into uh, surveying. And if you do have questions about surveying or uh, you have a different topic, you want us to answer your questions, maybe disagree with us, maybe agree with us, uh, whatever it is, if you want to reach us, you can go to marketingyourattraction.com and uh, check out our new website. We are adding blogs there. Um, as we speak, taking a lot of the topics that we mentioned on the podcast and turning those into readable blogs, you can find complete archive of all the episodes there. There's a contact form. You can subscribe. Make sure you subscribe on you know, iTunes or Google Play or whatever uh, podcast player you're using to listen to us right now. Great. Thanks so much for joining us. We will be back here with episode 20 next week. Have a great week. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. 
Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.